Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Megan Charlo, and I use she, her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns. Today, we are talking about 2021's The Tragedy of Macbeth. Adapted and directed by Joel Cohen, one half of the famous and now kind of sort of separated Cohen brothers. They are famous for their individual style in all of their films. And my question is, has Megan seen any Cohen brothers movie? Well, any on the top of your head? Who are th- <laughs> who are they? The name sounds familiar. Uh, let me name some of them. Fargo. Have you seen Fargo? I know I have when I was young. <laughs> technically saw it. Who? My mother. <laughs> I was Who say. else would show me an inappropriate movie for a child when I was young? Uh, the Great Lebowski? No. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? No. Is that a war one? Sounds like a war one. I don't watch those. No Country for Old Men? Is that a... Nope, that's The Men Who Stare at Goats. It's very different. <laughs> yes, it's got, Megan. It's got men in the name, though. <laughs> one of them is probably one of the most acclaimed films <laughs> of all time, and the other one is The Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> True Grit? They, they, made, they remade True, True Grit? True Grit. No, you haven't. Is Tom Cruise in that? <laughs> no. Okay, I don't know who the hell's in it. It's some guy. Inside Lewin Davis? Who? <laughs> I have no memory of actually seeing any. <laughs> okay, great. So anyway, he has been nominated for 13 Academy Awards with his brother Ethan, and they have won for Best Original Screenplay for Fargo, and Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay for No Country for Old Men. Wow, that is really critically acclaimed, isn't <laughs> That's it? That's way better than <laughs> The Men Who Stare at Goats, Megan, a film you have seen. I actually haven't. <laughs> It was all a joke. I saw the trailer for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is his first solo directing venture, which is, of course, a direct adaptation of William Shakespeare's Scottish play, Macbeth. The Tragedy of Macbeth was produced by Joel along with his wife, actress, and Our Lady Macbeth, Frances McDormand. She produced it, too. Ah. No, Megan, no, it's fine. Wow, wow. I could sense some <laughs> mean comments coming off from you. I I just, my hackles raise immediately. When someone is a producer and then in the movie. And then like a lead. Yeah. But no, it's okay. She's also a, a, a well-loved actress, right? You said. We'll get into it. Okay. It was also produced by longtime Cohen producer Robert Graff, who just produced a bunch of their films some production fun facts megan the film was shot in black and white and at a certain aspect ratio in order to emulate german expressionism right it Um, is a german play the german (laughs) play well they couldn't do scottish expressionism that's not really a thing (laughs) megan haggis on the screen uh, you ever know Sferatu? Yeah. That's that's kind of German expression, yeah. is it? You know the cabinet of Dr. Caligari? I know of it. Okay, well that's German expressionism. They did that, uh, I'm looking here, because uh, Joel Cohen is a big nerd. <laughs> it was also filmed completely on sound stages in order to make it 
untethered from reality. So all of the natural locations are, in fact, sound stages with fake grass on them. Okay, this will be funny later. I've got That's interesting to note. Also, I need to state that in interviews before this film came out, they kept asking people, like, why isn't Ethan doing this one? And they were all like, well, Ethan just doesn't want to do movies anymore. But then this year, Ethan Cohen is doing his own solo movie. And I listen, I get that it's people's <laughs> lives and everything. But like, I want to know what beef they have with each other. So that was obviously a lie. So the tragedy of Macbeth had a limited release December 25th, 2021. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Macbeth. Why? I have no clue. Literally, that you choose the date. Megan, they wanted to draw in those classic family crowds after they open up their Christmas gifts in the pandemic. We don't have a new Christmas Carol movie, so what's something similar? Macbeth! Has ghosts. Does have ghosts. (laughs) They both have ghosts. There is guilt. Yep. And it was released on Apple TV on January 14th, 2022. Marquez, cancel the trial subscription before you get charged. That's a note for me. So we can't talk about the budget because the only way to know how well something did in this day and age is to look at streaming numbers and they don't really release those. And so we can't have a quantifiable data point to point to to see if a movie was a success or not. So how the hell are streaming companies and movie studios supposed to pick films based on a budget? They're going to have to go to integrity and artistic ideas. And that sounds actually okay. <laughs> that, wait a second. I mean, it just means that more crap's going to be produced because they're going to throw more shit at the wall. Anyway, Megan, talk about the Scottish play, Macbeth. We've talked about Macbeth a few times on the podcast. Here's it was it's about off the top of my dome on early morning when I didn't sleep well last night. So, Mr. Macbeth, he's a guy, and he kills a guy and gets that guy's title. But before he finds out that he gets that guy's title, he and his friend Banquo come across three witches. And the witches are like, hey, Macbeth, you're Gloms, you're Cawdor, you're going to be the king. Uh, Banquo, your kids are going to be kings. And Macbeth's like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to tell my wife, who is totally mentally stable about all of this, she is going to just take it normally. And then she goes, cool, you know what that means. It means you kill the king. Then he does. And then he's the king. And then people are like, hold up. This is messed up. And then he's like, also, I gotta kill Banquo and Banquo's kid. Also, I gotta kill Macduff and his whole family. Also, I just should keep killing people. And then Macbeth finds out that no man of woman born can harm him. And also he's gonna live until the wood of Burnham come to Dunsinane, the castle. And then, Macduff and Malcolm, Malcolm's one of the kids of the king that Macbeth killed, and they're like, so we're gonna pretend to be woods, and we're gonna sneak up on the castle, and we're gonna kill Macbeth. And then, uh, they do. That's it. It's It's a lot about grief. Oh, also Lady Macbeth dies because of grief, uh, slash regret. It's, It's a lot about regret and ambition. That's what it's about. It's also about, like, kings. Yeah, like, the divine right of kings. And, like, hey, maybe don't do that. (laughs) That's the subtitle of the play. Well, this play was written when King James... Oh, King James was like, uh, witches, one, big on those, (laughs) big on, big hate on those. He wrote a whole book. Two, uh, kings, 
We gotta love those. <laughs> well, like, no. Well, yes. He, yeah. He did think that, but it was because he was, um, let me just look at my notes here. Terrified had, of someone <laughs> murdering him? Had consistent threats on his life, his whole... Yeah, so he was like, uh, just so you guys know, if you were to kill me, um, you're aligned with witches and also you're gonna die. Because, <laughs> uh, that's what happens. Because so he didn't know who to Duncan, trust. Just like... Duncan. No, Duncan thought he could trust everyone. Well, he didn't know who he could trust. He says that a man's construction... Yeah. But then he's just like, Macbeth, I trust you implicitly. Yeah. I'm dead. He says that. Acting corner. Wow, are we just all this low energy? Marquez's acting corner! <laughs> There we go. Thank you. Denzel Washington, one of the most famous and greatest actors of the 21st century. Uh, he transitioned from the TV show Saint Elsewhere into movies. He has been nominated for nine Academy Awards. I have to admit, though, I just never have interacted that much with the films of Denzel Washington. I know he is important, and I know that we should talk about him, and he has nine nominations, but I am sad to say I have only seen him in this film of what he was nominated for. And yes, Megan, he was nominated this year for the Academy Awards for playing Macbeth, and I think that that rules. Yeah, that's so rare that people go, oh, a Shakespeare adaptation. Let's uh, throw a award. He won an acting award at the Academy for Glory and Training Day, two movies I haven't seen, and he was also nominated for Best Picture and Best Actor for His Fences. The film, Megan, not the actual thing. It's based Wait, on a play. It's called His Fences? No, it's called Fences. Oh. He oh, oh, was okay. a producer of Fences. Oh, it's His Fences. Okay. Ray Goldberg, listener and friend of the show, says that Denzel should have won for Fences, and I trust Ray's judgment, who has actually seen Fences. Since he won a Tony and has won an Oscar, Megan, do you know what that makes him? An ot, because he hasn't won an Emmy or a Grammy. Come on, where's your singing career, Denzel? He was also Dom Pedro in Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. I guess that means that that film is just going to keep going higher and higher up on lists of films we need to cover. So we mentioned it like four times over the course of this podcast. Moving on. I'm really disappointed that you didn't mention that he's John Hobbs in Fallen. In what? Fallen. In what? The movie Fallen. It came out in 1998. Which one's this one? It's the one, uh, it starts off with a serial killer getting executed, and oh, he's, like, possessed it's the time by... is on my side. Yes, it is. You know yeah. what? That's a good movie. That's a good, it's one of my favorite. I should have put it in my top. It's in my top ten. Okay. It's gotta be in my top ten. That's a good film. That's got Denzel Washington. He's okay. the main character. Okay, okay. I've seen him in that. He just wasn't nominated for no, Academy. No, he wasn't. It deserved every award, obviously. <laughs> just like Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> I don't know about that. The trailer okay. was okay. Moving on. Frances McDormand is one of the greatest actors of the 21st century. She has stuck by her husband, Joel Cohen, the director's side throughout all of his career. She is one of the Coen's reoccurring casting choices, having appeared in Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Fargo, Burn After Reading, and Hail Caesar. She has a Tony, two Emmys, and four Oscars. So she's an yo. I have seen Fargo. 
And she's great in Fargo. And I remember Fargo. She deserves that win. She also won Best Picture and Best Actress for the film Nomadland like two years ago. And Best Actress for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Not the thing, Megan. The film. So I love Frances McDormand in certain modes. And also have a subsection of the acting corner which I titled Weird Shit Frances McDormand Has Been In. Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, and The Good Dinosaur. And yes, Megan, she is Lady Macbeth. She definitely didn't audition for this role. Let's be real. And let's be honest. Denzel probably also didn't audition for this role. No, they were just like, you know who's good? Denzel, yeah, Denzel Washington. Washington. Have can you we, seen Fallen? Can we, can we? <laughs> Joe Cohen just going like, have you seen Fallen? I think Denzel. Also, the rest of the cast, I'm just going to cover briefly. Catherine Hunter, who plays the witches, whose full name I'm going to try to pronounce, but it's very long. Aika Tarini Hajpateras. She's known professionally as Catherine Hunter. She's basically a person who has trod the boards for many years. Okay. She's been in a bunch of movies. She was Mrs. Fig in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, uh, Harry's neighbor. I need to mention that because literally everyone else in the cast has like been in a Harry Potter movie because they're just kind of like British actors. Harry Melling, who plays Malcolm, is Dudley. 36 last year, I had 37. Oh my god, that is him. <laughs> yeah, he has the face. He has the same eyeballs. Yeah. I thought he looked familiar, but not in a way I wanted to look up. The guy who plays Duncan, Brendan Gleeson, who is also kind of a famous actor, was Professor Mad-Eye Mooney. Oh, I didn't recognize him without the eye. I would also like to state that he was Knuckles McGinty in Paddington 2, and he rules. I'm sorry, Knuckles? Paddington took Knuckles from Sonic like they had to be like, oh, we have a Knuckles too. Don't you dare put Knuckles McKinty's name in your damn dirty mouth. <laughs> He's a great man who helped Paddington escape from prison because they were friends. Megan, that's it for the acting corner. It's just a bunch of people who were in Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. It's time to start the film? Yeah. Yeah. So we get the opening bit with the witches, and we don't see them. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's how they're going to do the witches. Not. And I was kind of confused. And then it just said the word when instead of saying a year, which uh, I think that's kind of funny. I don't think it was meant to be funny, but I found it funny. So I like that the witches speak in darkness. And then it transitions to white because this film is in black and white. Mm, I had no idea this film. So here's the thing, guys. The only thing I knew about this film was Denzel was in it. Megan, I showed you the trailer. Yeah, I don't, don't remember. remember it. And also when I saw it, I probably was just like, I mean, you could just make a black and white trailer for a non-black and white movie. If you Put did a grayscale filter on it. I don't know. That would be really weird to do, I realize. I think I'm thinking about a high school video class. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. When most people do black and white, they are hacks. Sorry, Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, but the only reason you did that was so you didn't have to light your film properly. 
and freaking Zack Snyder just released a black and white version of his cut of the Justice League because he wants to be classical because he thinks his Justice League is like a classic, an epic, and he thinks that black and white means that it's epic. I don't know. Anyway, so this film uses black and white to its credit in a very good way. It uses it to high transitions of shots through fog. Yeah, they they pull a Silent Hill 2. Yeah, sure. You'll see Macbeth walking towards the camera and then it'll be fog and then you'll see like you're on top of him. You're looking down on him. Macbeth's not here yet. Instead, we got this bloody man. Who has a really nice voice. He does have a very nice voice. This is a direct adaptation. I mean, there obviously, as there should be, are cuts and some scenes get moved around. But otherwise, it's all Shakespeare's words. Yes. So they don't cut to the battle. No. Okay. This scene is a bloody man coming from battle to tell Duncan, the king, about what transpired and what he saw. And usually films will be like, we're a film. We can cut away, we can show that, we can do things. This film is just like, here's two guys talking. Yes. How do you feel about that? I wrote, if these weren't good actors, this would be the most boring scene in any film. So here's why I think it works. Yeah. Well, besides the actors being Yeah, I mean, I was just like, as we've said in other movies, this bloody man is a role that in, like, community theater, you'd give to someone who isn't great. Because they're only going to be on there for like five minutes. So usually I would think this would be terrible. But this is a film yep. by one of the Coen brothers. So it's good. So it's good actors. So here's a reason why I think they don't cut to the battle. They don't want to distract you from the word. So Yeah. Two, which is what I think the play does, which I think that Joel Cohen also wants to do, is make you picture the idea that you have in your head of Macbeth from this guy's words alone. Yeah. And when you cut to the tiredest man in the world, Denzel Washington later, it's incongruous to what you had in your mind. Oh, this is supposed to be the guy that that guy was talking about. He doesn't look like a great soldier. He looks like he's going to pass out, which I like. And then I think the third thing is they want to alienate you as much as possible, as early as possible in this film. Having it be as stagey as possible, I think, is working in credit to the movie because I think that that's the goal of this film is to try to up up your suspension of disbelief before shit goes down. I think it works. At first, I was very against it. And then I thought about the film after watching it for a little bit. And I was like, no, I think that works in service to the film. Anyway, the bloody guy gets taken off. And then comes... Ross, looking awesome. I love Ross's. I've never in my life seen a production of Macbeth and thought, oh, Ross seems cool. You know, now. Obviously, Megan, when Ross isn't on stage, everyone should be asking, where's Ross? His costume is awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's this like weird sleek thing with little flappies. I love it. He looks like like a battle monk. Yes. Anyway, it's time for the witches. One thing I have to say about this film is I'm kind of sad that we didn't wait until Halloween. Because this is the scariest witch that we've ever seen. Yes. Like, ever. So, here's the thing. As I mentioned, there are three witches. But in this, we see one witch. She's like a contortionist. 
That's scary. Yeah. I, so I think it is delving into the things that humanity thinks is scary, which is things that are moving, not that they should, and things talking, not like they should, which is couched in fears of physical disability and mental disability yeah, which is it, it's it's fine we can we don't it's have a to deep-seated societal issue yes then the witch is talking and the witch has like three different voices it rules because Catherine hunter rules yeah like it is obviously just Catherine hunter doing these voices but they are different voices and the face doesn't like seem any different between them it's spoopy there are some random cuts because mm-hmm. normally it's a conversation between three witches and they kind of cut up the conversation so it doesn't flow. But since it's just one person saying all of it, you're just like, oh, I guess it's not a conversation really. So it doesn't matter. But I was like, what the heck just happened to that sentence. And then I was like, OK, well, that kind of makes it more on the like mental yes older people as they are suffering from dementia and makes it feel like that where you're just like i'm just unsettled because it's not a normal conversation that you have between two people again it can get into some ableism but i don't think that that's what we're supposed to get from this no i definitely was just like ah they're doing contortionism ah it's a spooky voice thing happening it did not feel like oh and here's a lady who has associative identity disorder or dementia. No, like, that's not what they're going for. It does not at all come across that way, so don't worry. Because I can see... Someone doing that. Yes, and then it being done poorly. They also count on their fingers on the thrice again to make up uh, nine. nine. <laughs> and that's I, was, what, I like that. I just yeah, like it. That's what three thrices means. <laughs> Macbeth and Banquo show up. And they are like... <laughs> Who are these? And I'm like, oh, that's weird that they kept that because it's only one person. And then we cut back to the witch and the witch goes up to water. And then in the reflection, there's two. And it's like, obviously not just a direct reflection. So there's three of them. Stand- oh, I lost my ever loving mind. Yeah, I wrote typing in the chat because as soon as that happened, you clickety clacked your there's way. There's three rows of gibberish yeah. in my notes. Yeah, that's you- how much I clickety clacked. And then I wrote, it's three witches with the two reflected, I die. Megan, I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever uh, eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? I feel like I have now. <laughs> and then you know what happens? The reflection witches are suddenly on the land, but they still only look like reflections. There's no detail on them. They're all shadows. And I am terrified and in love. Yeah, and so the standard stuff happens. Macbeth, you shall be king. Banquo, you should get king. So it's just standard stuff, pretty good. And then the witches go into the mist, and then they're like, wow, they dissolved into mist. And I'm like, okay, that's standard. And then birds come out. Well, bam, a bunch of ravens just... <sighs> Actually, it's not a bunch. It's three. three. Because it's them. They're ravens. They transform into ravens. Also, earlier on, the witch did like a weird arm flappy thing and you could hear wings flapping. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And I was like, whoa, this is some weird bird. Listen, choices are being made. And I love them. I love strong choices with the witches. And then Macbeth is like, man, I had so many questions. Would they have stayed? And I'm like, really? You would have? Would you have? I would not have. I am glad they left. If I was you, I'd be like, oh, wow, we need to get somewhere safe. An interesting thing that happens is then they cut to them in their tent having made camp. Usually, Ross shows up 
like there. immediately I after. really like that it's not like and then Ross is here because I hate that when it's like why is Ross in this place they're in a weird swamp yeah it's because it's a play yeah but when you're not a play you don't have to you do that you can be that. like time has passed they got to their camp and Ross went well I know where their camp is and I can talk to them there or or it was oh. a joint dream that Betty because Paul because we also get the title card right before that cut yes so like we don't know if time has passed or not yes we just know it's nighttime, which it seemed to be before, but it's because everything's black and white. You don't know. It's like, what if they had a shared dream? And they're like, whoa. Ross and Angus have this moment where they're like, hey, Macbeth, because of what you did with the Thane of Cawdor, we're here to give you a prize. And then they're like, a, a title, not money. But that line has literally never stuck out to me. But in this... It's just like a really sassy banter between Ross and Angus where it's like, not to pay thee. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you really made it sound like we're going to give him money and um, we're not. So maybe you should have said that better. <laughs> and I was like, boyfriends. <laughs> also, I like that Macbeth goes like, the Thane of Carter yet lives. And then Ross is like, look behind door number one. It's Carter. I am so messed up. Is this actually happening? Because they... Get this guy. And I'm like, is that someone in their camp? Is it actually Cawdor? I don't know who this is. So in my brain, I immediately went, they just took some innocent person at Macbeth's camp and were like, get on your knees. We're going to pretend we're going to decapitate you. And I was like, what? So I don't know if that's what was happening or no, if no, they were Megan, doing it, like... It was Cawdor. They, so they offer the sword to Macbeth. So he kills Cawdor. And he's like, uh-uh. He closes the... <laughs> he's just like, bye. He just like closes the tent, which is kind of funny. So then Macbeth has his monologue about, this is bad news, I don't know what to do. I gotta write to my wife. Yep, I gotta say a couple things about this. Joel Cohen is not afraid to have a soliloquy just there, which has been a big problem of mine with direct adaptations, is when you just, you have to have some sort of bit. Yeah, like some fake child baby. (laughs) You talking to Fleance, even though he's you're, like, you're Dad, I don't know. You're grabbing some dying boy and just talking at him. Yeah. And you don't need to talk to anyone. You're talking to you're, yourself. That's the point, is you're trying to figure stuff out. And also, Denzel does a thing where he scratches his head because the thoughts are in them. Yeah. Like, he's like, I hate these thoughts that I'm having about maybe I should kill the king. He's a very heady Macbeth, which I yes. like, because yes. usually Macbeth is like, I'm a consummate soldier. I'm, uh, And like, I think it makes way more sense with the text for him to be like, I'm in my head a lot about this. Yeah. I need to talk through this with someone. So otherwise, why wouldn't he just do it? Why would he go to his wife? Yep. Speaking of, Francis McDormand. I like that the Macbeths are older. That's another thing I need to say. Correct. They are middle-aged. It makes it clear that this is their last chance to be people see that's the interpretation i always want i hate the like oh we're just young and we want power and we're (laughs) and like lady Macbeth is driving him on by the promise of sex and stuff like i'm just so over that yeah because you've seen it i've seen it so many times and i really like it just being like no we are an established couple who have been stuck in this position because we are not in the line of kings, where there's nowhere we're going to become greater, because that's not what happens. And once you take the chance to be the greatest, most important person in the world... Like, if someone told you that's your fate, then you gotta. That's someone else being like, yeah, go for it, man. What, you're just gonna die a death and then nobody remembers you for the rest of history? You don't have children, so you don't have a legacy? Your legacy is nothing? Terrible. 
Also, one of my favorite choices in this is when she reads the whole letter, you know, she has her talk. And then as she's like, ooh, I don't think he's strong enough to do this. She's burning the letter. Right. That's evidence. Yes. I was like, why does anyone ever not destroy the letter? Yes, correct. That's just like, hey, just so you know, uh, something that might implicate killing the king. Yep. And people are like, "Mm, yeah, I just put that on my nightstand. Like, no. You burn the letter. You burn that. Of course you burn it. And then she throws it out a window and it just goes into space. And I feel like there's nothingness outside of that window. Yeah, because it's a soundstage, right? It's a soundstage, and it's really weird. Yeah. One thing about it being a soundstage is they got no furniture. Yeah. They're going through, she's going through this big house, and there's no furniture, and it's, I hate it. I hate it. I really like, one of my favorite things about this adaptation is how many times we are given proof that time has passed in these opening scenes, because so much is happening, and they're like, this guy died. This news got to so-and-so. who, And I'm like, you don't got phones? Messengers need to be going from battle to king. From king to get Ross. Ross, tell Macbeth. Macbeth, go tell Ross. Ross, tell the king. King, decide. King, get Macbeth. Macbeth, come to king. None of that can happen as quickly as it seemed to happen in the play. Yeah. While in this, now we have more time has passed. I'm like, good, we have time for people to get killed. For them to prep a dinner. <laughs> Everything. He's like, okay, cool. So now we know you're coming. So now I'll have a messenger go tell my wife that you're coming tonight. And I don't, I just really like it. It's completely unnecessary, but it just makes it realistic to me. We're talking about Duncan announcing things. So you can see the line that comes later. And I love that you can see it now that Macbeth doesn't take not being named heir well in his face when yeah. it's announced. When it's just like, yeah, so the next will be my son, Malcolm. And Denzel makes a face, and you're like... Yeah, but it wasn't gonna be you. He has a son. He has two sons. But like the witch has said, and if you just named me, I wouldn't have to kill you. And he, I like how he keeps it in, he keeps it inside, and then as soon as he gets out of that tent with everyone, he, like, goes off. Like... Mm-hmm. It's another moment where they cut a scene into a different scene because... Yeah, we've got Act 1, Scene 5 and Act 1, Scene 4 happening at the same time. Yeah, because Lady M now gives her on sex speaker. Yeah, because now she's told by her maid, oh, by the way, the king's coming here tonight. And she's like, after that letter, now I find out? Woo, okay. And that that makes more sense to me. Yes. Like you said, passage of time. Yes. And it's weird. I mean... Okay, so we know now, Megan knows now, that this was filmed on a soundstage. So during her on Sex Me here, the very beginning of it, it's just like an abstract of lights behind her. Yes. And I was like, this is very unreal. Yeah. Mmm. And then she lies down on her bed, and you're like, oh, we're grounded again in reality, Mm -hmm. even though you're still talking about wanting to kill the king. And she says it very relaxed. Mm Mm-hmm. I like this concept of lady macbeth who's older and she's just like this is what has to be done i'm wizened and this is it i will say very soon i'll go okay yeah i get it you're wizened you're relaxed do something different but at this point i was like oh i like it she's not like desperate sounding she's just like it's a different kind of desperation where it's just like there's no other option so don't freak out this is just it and so then macbeth comes to her 
And she wakes up from a nap. I like it. It's very cute. It's like, ah, oh, I know those footsteps. That's my husband. And so it's just a very big thing for me. This is good. I just like established relationships. Yeah, and we see her talk about how they need to do this. I also really like one of her first lines when he comes in and wakes her from her nap is, thy letters have transported me on the present instant. And that is perfect for, like, I read it and then I went to sleep and, man, the dreams I had of our possibility. Like, it just seemed so perfect in the concept of, and she dreamt. I feel now the, the future, future in the instant. I just wrote that line down because I think that that line really sticks out. Yeah. Whenever I watch a direct adaptation, one thing I like to do is figure out which lines pop out to me in this version yeah. that either get run over or just don't hit as much just don't hit as much and i think that because i think what is important is what is emphasized in your adaptation is what you want to say about the text because it feels like they put more weight onto that line like on purpose or everything that's surrounding that yeah the context gives it more meaning than yes just off the script and there's a couple lines like that that i feel like really stick out and that was one of them and he's so good at looks because she is talking to him and he is reacting to everything that she's saying through his looks. Yeah. And he is just the master of secondary acting. Oh my God. Ooh, big surprise. Denzel Washington's one of the what? best actors of all time. And already at this point is when I said, uh, yeah, I could use more levels from her. It's all very quiet, yes. which can be very spooky, but also can be very boring. Here's my thing. Megan. Yeah. And I discovered this. Well, on the phone with my stepmother. Okay. It's the fact that when she is with him, she is at her weakest. When Frances McDormand's with Denzel Washington, I feel like she is at her weakest. Yeah. I feel like he's acting circles around her when they're together. And when she's alone, I feel like she's better. Yeah. Because I like her a lot in the first scene. I like her a lot in her... Madness scene. Madness scene. I mean, she's still good. I'm not going to say that she's bad in this film. Yeah. Because a lot just... of people said that she's stinky online. And I, and I was like, I don't no, think no, she's no, stinky. No, no, I've no. seen way worse Lady M's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Fastbender's Macbeth? <laughs> Marion Cotillard's not good. Sorry. So the king shows up. Yes. With all his people. And he says, this castle hath a pleasant seat and there is not even one share in view. You're so funny, man. I know, I'm funny. Gosh, stop clapping. I get it. Please, put the awards away. I want to do a mini costume corner. Ooh. Okay, yeah. We haven't had one of these in a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. Costumes are fucking good. That's it. You know when you have costumes? You know when a time period isn't given specifically, and then you just do good costumes? Good job. So this film was also nominated for Best Production Design, as well as Denzel Washington. And I think it should have won. I didn't think about that when I saw the Oscars because I hadn't seen the right. film Right, you're just like, I mean, it's and a Macbeth. And when Dune won, I went, well, it's Dune. Dune looks good. I wish West Side Story had won instead of Dune because I think West Side Story looks pretty and I don't know they transformed 18 blocks into and then you saw this and you were like no this is what I want I mean I get it was just a soundstage but like they made it park 
And it, the costumes are gorgeous. It being a stunt stage wasn't a limitation. It was a purposeful choice. Well, the thing and, is, like, a lot of times when people use sound stages, it's just because they're like, oh, well, we don't have the money. Yeah. But this was like, no, I want to use a sound stage so I can make it not real. Yeah. It's <laughs> different. Oh, also, most versions of Macbeth cut when Duncan talks about birds. But I think with the witches... With the witches, with the ravens. They're like, birds is important. Birds is important. I think that that's like something that they needed to mention. And also the fact that you could just have birds. And our little mascot folio is like, uh, yeah, birds is important. Bird, birds is important. Avant Bard, 2022. New, new t-shirt. Yeah, Duncan basically says it would suck if I were to die tonight. That's my favorite part of the scene. What a nice place. It would suck if my hosts were to kill me. You know what I really like about this? Is that he's like, where's Macbeth? And then we look, and he's like in the corner just watching all of this. Yeah. And like, I'm not approaching him yet, because I'm going to probably kill him. And like, I'm just going to be on the side. And then, as we transition into scene 1-7, instead of being like, and then Macbeth enters the scene. It's like, no, he's been watching this whole time. And then it's just like, uh, okay, it's, you know, true well if it were done quickly. Like, he never interacts with Duncan no. before he dies. And no, he avoids him. I love that because sometimes you're like, oh, enter the party, Macbeth, and then him and Lady Macbeth have their scene and they both enter the party together. But no, he... He's like, ah. He doesn't leave the party. He doesn't... I'm in my head. He doesn't go to the party. Which I think is so unique. Yeah. I really like how this film does transitions like that from scene to scene where it's like, no, this is continuous. We don't have the like, and everyone leaves and then he enters the stage. It's just like, no, he was there, he was watching, and now he's like, yeah, I gotta do this. So this is the I have given suck and screw your courage to the sticking place scene. This very famous scene between Lady M and Macbeth about killing Duncan. And I love how meek Denzel is here. You can definitely tell he's like, I don't want to do this. You need to convince me because I can't do this. And I think that's one fault of this scene, is since it's the two of them together, I feel like she's not strong enough. Correct. She sounds like a disappointed older wife, which is what she is. But I think she needs to make him screw his courage to the sticking place. It needs levels. She needs strength. It's too smooth. It is too smooth. That is one problem I have with this film, is... I don't feel like there's any realizations or any moments where they're like, oh, I'm just thinking this up now. Yeah. It's just like, and this is the script and this is my response and this is my reply and this is the next line and this is the next line. I think part of it might be the German expressionism of it all. Maybe. That there is I just a, a fakeness. I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is because it's not as naturalistic as you might want to yeah because they're trying to go for a not naturalistic thing i just think that gets boring no i i don't i don't disagree yeah yeah no i get where you're coming from i think you're right Uh, reason not an excuse so because i wrote down like i like how quiet this argument is at the start i like how they're keeping their voices down because it's a party and they're not like raising their voices to each other but i feel like you need to play around with that because i love how he says if we fail Yes. He says it very terrified, reserved. Like, yeah, okay, like, but he's the king. What if we fail? Yeah. I don't like her response. It's too measured. It's yeah. too quiet. Um, she doesn't listen. Yes. That's Which, the issue. Denzel's great at listening. Yeah. I don't think she listens to him, though. However, despite all this, 
they touch their foreheads at the end of the I scene when they're, <laughs> when they're resolved in doing this. And I think that that works a lot. So then we cut to Banquo's scene. My boy Banquo and Fleon's. Oh, and Macbeth. I'm sorry. This is another thing with Macbeth just watching. Yes. He's just like, like he has his talk with Lady Macbeth. He walks over to the edge of the inner balcony banister thing. And he looks over to see Banquo and Fleance and mm-hmm. just watches their next bit. The way that Macbeth says a friend to Banquo in this scene when Banquo's like, who's there? And Macbeth like does little finger. Little jazz hand. Yeah, and he just goes, a friend. <laughs> it's like, so good, Denzel, come on. I also like how when he approaches, Fleance is like, this guy's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the kid. And, and uh, like along with it, Macbeth, I have never seen a Macbeth touch Fleance. Yes. And he like ruffles Fleance's hair. He's like, hey, kiddo. Mm-hmm. And it is so creepy if you know the play. Well, I also think that. And Fleance is like, don't touch me. <laughs> I also think it's just like these people don't know how to interact with kids. Or, oh, yeah, no. Like he is the guy who's just like, Hey, kids. Let me touch your face. How how are you doing? Like, this guy does not interact with children. You got a Facebook? Yeah. It's your uncle who doesn't have kids of his own that just, like, is trying to interact with you. You're like, please don't talk to me. I don't know who you are. And then we get the dagger. So, he's in this long hallway that we will see many times in the film because they do that. And he sees it very far away on the door. Yeah, Like, it's just like, this is the door that you gotta go through to get to Duncan's. And so he's, like, walking far towards it. I really like that. Okay. I like that it's, like, far away. But then it makes no sense in a specific line when he's like, the, I, have I, I have the not, uh, and yet I, I, I see these still, still. And I'm like, well, of course you don't have it. It's, like, across the hall still. <laughs> yeah, that line doesn't make sense. But whatever. I really like the slow movement towards it through this monologue. I think it's something to do without being too much. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) To extrapolate further, there is a couple of moments, and I think that this is a running thing throughout this film, in which movements, noises, and lines intersect and feel like it's propelling you forward or it's repetitive. Him walking towards that, you hear his feet, and it kind of matches the lines that he's saying as it propels him forward, the dagger like propels him forward to kill Duncan. And I don't think I've seen that very often done where it's just like, no, this is like his movement is matching the lines. And he says like, my footsteps should be quiet so that Duncan doesn't hear my approach as, as he is like walking. And you hear his it. footsteps and you're like, yeah, I can hear those. Yeah. It turns out that that's no dagger. That's the door handle. So good. Ugh. Best, best. Okay. What do you want? A dagger that's hanging is like CGI or it's a real one hanging on a little fishing wire? No. No. I want it to be a shining handle where the light's just hitting it so it looks like a dagger. It rules. You know what I really also like about this speech? I don't see very many dagger speeches where Macbeth's like, man, this is kind of weird. Yeah. And Denzel is very much just like, oh, dagger. Typical dagger. Oh, you dagger. Another thing about Denzel's Macbeth is... He doesn't have a dagger on him. Yeah. And then when he says, you're like this one I have here, and it comes out of his freaking sleeve like an assassin. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's what, that's what this Macbeth is. He is quiet and reserved, 
up until the moment, up until... He is like the flower, but also the serpent under it. Yes, uh, I think that that rules that he has that, like, sleeve dagger. Because it's like, no, he's not obvious about him killing you. He's, and he's not obvious about, like, I'm carrying a weapon. I'm a military man. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm just a guy. It's my house. Why would I have a weapon? Of course I have a weapon. I always have a weapon on me. And again, we get to see Macbeth kill Duncan. Which I think movies, that's kind of just what to expect. At this yes. Point. So I need to say, I think it's okay for Duncan to see Macbeth before he kills him. I love yes. Duncan seeing who kills him. I love that moment of betrayal. Yes. I love seeing your host has killed you. Your host who you thought you trusted. And he sits there and he's and he so calm. Put, and he's just like sitting there and Duncan starts to wake up and he's like, shush, shush. And he puts his finger to his lips, just like, uh-uh, baby. And then he puts his hand over it. Again, it's the Macbeth that's quiet until he like, kills no, you. Like, no, it's okay. Don't scream. Because I won't let you anyway. The thing is, Macbeth doesn't like, ah, stab him like over Ooh. and over again. He just does one slit and you see the blood splash on his face. Well, because he doesn't do a slit. He does a puncture in oh, yes. the throat. Yes. But that's all he does. That's all you he needs. He precisely knows what to do. My one problem, Duncan, real weak. He's an old man, man. I guess. But geez, he's just like, no. No, let me go, you strong young man. <laughs> I will say, though, Knuckles McGinty would never <laughs> have been killed by Macbeth. There's a couple lines that I love in Macbeth, but sometimes just don't work in adaptation, which is when Lady Macbeth and Macbeth meet up after the murder. Did you hear an ologist just then? When? As I descended. The real answer would be... Right now, right like now. a second ago. Yeah. I do like, once again, Lady Macbeth was asleep. Yes. And she wakes up to a scream. And that's when she says, peace. It was the owl. Like, she's telling herself, like, oh my god, calm down. And then she's like, wait a second. I woke up, like, that's got to be a sign that something went wrong. Well, like, the noise <laughs> of the bird witches. We also see the servant say, amen. Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. We cut between her talking about it. Yeah. And what's actually happening in the room. I did like hearing that one whisper, Amen. Because I was like, whoa. I've always kind of wondered if it actually happened. And in this one, they were like, yeah, no, it's real. It's not just him assuming things and saying things because he's freaking out. A couple more things. I like them here, Lady M and Macbeth, talking about the death. But I go like, huh, he doesn't have the daggers. Yeah. Usually he just has the daggers. In his hands. He has them in his sleeve again or in his boots. No, They're it's in his, his boots. boots. He like, pulls he just them like, out of his boots. He's just like, all right, can't do the sleeve dagger. That It's dirty. I don't want that on my arms. Put it in my boots. All right, go back to the room. But I also just like that usually that line makes no sense. Because you're like, how did you not notice that he had the daggers? And it's because this is a sneaky Macbeth. Yeah. And this... he's just like, all right, time for bed. So I'm going to take out the daggers. And she's like, why do you have these? Dude. And they're still bloody. And yeah. I think it's interesting because usually what happens is she goes, you have to take the daggers. Fine, I'll take them. And she takes them and she goes and she puts them and then she comes back with blood on her hands and says, my hands are of your color. But she does, grabs the daggers. There's already blood on them. Looks at her hands that are already covered in Duncan's blood and says, my hands are of your color, but I shame to wear a heart so white. And then she leaves. I like that that's her parting line to him because like it kind of sucks as like a, hi, I'm back, bitch. <laughs> I like it as like a, now think about that as I leave. I like how unintrusive the shot of her bloody hand is. Yes. They're not like, this'll be important later. No, she's just like, oh, my hand's bloody. Yeah. And then as soon as she leaves, you start hearing knocking, which I think is very much like, oh, is Macbeth losing it? 
Well, also, he washes his hands and then knocks the basin of water aside after he says the line about the seas turning incarnadine, which I just like the word incarnadine. Sorry. But then the water starts dripping and it matches the door knocking. And that's that repetitive sound of him going forward, as well as like the bells. And you're also just like, it's the middle of the night. No one's actually knocking, right? You're losing it, buddy. And then Marquez and I go, there's not going to be a porter. This is a legitimate movie. And then they cut to the porter. And he just does it. He's just good. I don't think that the porter quite works without an audience. I will yes, say that. I think it's weird. Because he's not talking. To anyone. And even though we said that soliloquy should be just said to yourself. That's not a soliloquy. No. this That's is That's an audience a, interaction. Yes. This is definitely like, hi, I'm the porter. Uh, I'm going to be in, in hell. This uh, has been all serious. Time for a silly break for the audience. Mm-hmm. That's what the point is. So it was weird. But I do like, we see the porter just walk through the house and he walks through like the dagger hallway. He walks through places we've seen before. Yes. He opens the door. He gets Macduff and Lennox who showed up. And he gets money. He does get money. Remember the porter. porter. And the way that they shoot it is very German expressionism because he like goes around the corner, opens the door. You see his shadow hold out his hand for money and you see the shadows give him money. And then they all enter the scene. Yeah, and then you're like, what's going on? And then you see the people enter, and you're like, I don't know these people. (laughs) Uh, So this is our first time meeting Macduff. We see that Macduff is a younger black man, and I think that that is important. Oh, absolutely it is. There is definitely... They cast him on purpose. Yes. I would also like to state that the porter is Stephen Root, who you, Megan, will know as Gordon... From Dodgeball, the guy with the goggles who... Yeah, that is him! (laughs) I subscribe to Obscure Sports Quarterly. (laughs) The guy who plays Macduff, his name is Corey Hawkins. He's been in a couple of TV shows, has gotten a Tony nomination for Six Degrees of Separation with Allison Janney. He is, like, a working actor. Like, he's not just some nobody or, like... Been in The Walking Dead. Okay. He played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. He is in a filmed stage version of Romeo and Juliet as Tybalt. We should probably look that up uh, because I think he would be good at that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just been in a bunch of things. I don't think he's broken out just yet. And I would like to see that for him. Yeah. Because I think he's I really really liked him in this. Yeah. He's really good. Before we stop talking about the porter, I do want to say... He does make penis gestures yep. on the penis jokes, yep. and he is completely ignored by the other people. Love and that. It's him. perfect. That's See, exactly what should happen. I like penis gestures when they're ignored yes. by other people, because it's like, nobody's talking to you, my dude. Yes, I like it. He's like, get it, get it. And they're just like, yeah, so where's Macbeth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know where Macbeth is? Already watching them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hi, guys. And that is so creepy. I love it. normally what it is is, where's Macbeth? Oh, I'll go get him. And then he's like, hi, guys. Yeah. And instead, they're like, where's Macbeth? Hi. I've been here the whole time. I've been here. I knew it was you. Macduff goes to get Duncan, and the old man talks about like, oh, man. The perfect The stairs old man. up to Duncan's room are so long. Spooky. German expressionism. Also, it's just important because lines happen between yeah. him going and him being like, ooh, ah, horror. Which makes sense if and he's going up a bunch of stairs. All these stairs. And I, I just like it. I like it. I don't know. Lennox is doing a perfect old man. Where he's just like, ooh, well, yeah, it's, it's been a shitty night. 
I've said it before, I will say it again. I think that Twas a Rough Night needs to be funnier. I just think it needs to be funny whenever uh, Macbeth says it. I think it. that's one of the only things we liked about Fassbenders. Yes. Was his Twas a Rough Night was actually funny. Yes. It's just a funny line. Shakespeare meant it to be funny. Yeah, like, get it? Like, he had a rough night, guy. And, oh no, the king is dead, and mm-hmm. Macbeth runs up, and we see Macbeth kill the guards, which is... Fast, swift, no nonsense. Again, one hit. Yep. One hit down. But almost, like, silent. Like, yeah. nobody noticed that he did it. Yeah, like, he's just like, oh yeah, so I did that. So one thing I really like, as Macbeth is coming down and being like, oh, Grace and Renown are dead, etc. Lady Macbeth is doing her lines of, like, what's going on as that's being said? And that's, I know you could do that in anything. But I just really like when non-essential lines are said at once because it's more realistic. I also love that Macbeth is basically prompting her to faint. Yes. You see that, like, communication where she's just, like, as he's coming down, you see on her face, like, a moment of, like, this was not the plan. And, uh, yeah, I, I love with this pair, I feel like they are a couple. Yes. Who has been together for a long time. So they're able to have that unspoken conversation of just like, no, this wasn't the plan, but now we have to go with it. And she's like, I will faint. Got it. And then we have Donald Bain and Malcolm be like, we gotta leave. This is messed Uh, up, man. They're the sons of the king. No, I know know Malcolm. Donald Um, Bain's also one. Oh. He's the younger son. He doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I always just think that Shakespeare can uh, cut Donald Payne entirely. I think the reason he's there is so that we're like, Malcolm could die because there is still another heir. What if instead of going to Malcolm, you just go to Donald Payne? He's just like, and Malcolm, I don't like you. Donald Payne's the king. Instead of having like Macbeth creepily watching like he's done this whole play, we see Ross creepily watching? Ross is a sneaky boy. Since when? Well, since now, because apparently he's going to become the most important character in the play. I hope you're happy with the fact that they dressed Ross up in a very interesting costume, because now he's going to show up all over the place. Do you think that Joel Cohen played Ross in high school? Do you think that he was just like, I was Ross, and you know what? I think Ross is actually way bigger than you think. I think that he's really important, and I think maybe there's some more things about him that we'll discuss later. I think it's funny because I would give an Academy Award nomination to the witches as well as Macbeth. I think I would give it to Ross, too. He's a sneaky boy. Ross, from this point forward, will become so important for someone who I literally had to look up the character's name. Because I didn't know it off the top of my head. Because he's usually not. That I went, Joel's gotta have something about Ross. He's gotta have a past with this character. So, this guy, Alex Hassel. I do not know... A single thing he's done. He's been on The Boys on Amazon and was in the Cowboy Bebop live action thing. And he was Hal for the Royal Shakespeare Company for Henry IV Parts 1 and 2 and Henry V. Good for him. And then the next scene is Ross is still a sneaky boy sharing this information with Macduff. Because Macduff is like, what's happening in the kingdom? And Ross is like, well, (laughs) we think that... Malcolm and Donald Bain might have killed the king, which he knows is wrong because yeah. he watched them leave and yeah. heard what they said. What the hell? Anyway. Because he's a sneaky boy. Yeah, why? On whose side? He's not going to be His king. own side. Okay, anyway. Megan, we see We're at watch. this broken down house. McDuff leaves. 
Yeah, McDuff it's, leaves. It's Ross alone. Ross is alone at this weird broken down house. And I was like, what is, is this happening? broken down house? Why is there a broken down house so close to Macbeth's place? And then we get to hear a little song some of us may be very familiar with. I have directed three Shakespeare plays in my life. And two of them have had versions of the song, The Rain It Raineth Every Day. And Macbeth is... Why don't we just make a third? It's Macbeth is not one of them. But anyway, it's in it now. Anyway, uh, Catherine Hunter played Lear in her own special version of King Lear. What? Yeah, and it was very highly praised. It's so interesting to me because it takes me out of it. But I think it works in the way that all the other things that take me out of this play work. Because if you know the play... You're like, that doesn't happen yeah, or at all in this play. (laughs) I think Joel really wanted to keep viewers who are like, oh, I know Macbeth on their toes. He's like, you know what? You think you know Ross? Ross is different. Oh, you think the rain it raineth every day isn't in this? Well, it is. And there's an old man and he's saying it. And you know that conversation that's normally Ross and Macduff talking about how the horses eat each other? No, it's this old man talking to himself and Ross is listening. Well, the old man's played by the witches. Yeah. Because most versions of Macbeth do the thing where the witches play other people. They don't have it be this old man who's like, uh, yeah, horses eat each other. Which actually I believe is said by Ross normally. But they're like, Ross gets no lines here. He just gets to be like, what is up with this old man? I just think it's interesting because this old man is giving Ross information about the kingdom is messed up. Maybe go fix it, Ross. Like, you know information. So anyway, we cut to Banquo's speech. James Bond. Yeah, I was going to say, there's darkness and a spotlight. And then I expected Banquo to start walking in and then pull out a gun and then shoot and then the red comes. I was like, this is the most stagey moment. Uh, It's like it's a dark stage with a spotlight. I wrote this rule. This film is just keeping me on my toes. Yeah. Keeping like, this is obviously a movie. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is a stage. Oh, actually, it's space. Banquo here is at the intersection of being a good person and falling into the witches as well, which is why he is in a white space surrounded by darkness. Mm -hmm. That is my interpretation of that. I like it. I dig it. It is one of the many moments why I think the black and white works. It helps obscure that. And also because there's a lot of talk as fair is foul and foul is fair, white and black, Macbeth is played by a black man. Lady M is played by a white woman. I feel like there's something there that is being said, and I don't want to get into it because I don't have the... Let's just get Joel on the podcast and ask. Yeah, because I just, I think that these are all conscious choices. I think having a black man and a white woman be your Macbeths is a choice that you are specifically making because the other couple we see is the Macduffs. And and, they're both black. And they're both black. There's not nothing is what I'll say. But as for Banquo, I think that it's very clear that he is the sole uncorrupted person amongst the darkness. Yeah. And he questions whether or not he should do it, but then he tells his thoughts to stop that. And then he goes and sees his good friend, Macbeth. Macbeth's like, hey, I'm so excited. We're having a feast. You're going out, right? And he's like, yeah. You're going fine. to our feast after Right. I want to be caught dead not there. Fail not our feast. I won't. And you just see Denzel's expression just be like, ha ha, happy-go-lucky. I'm killing this man. But not like evilly, like he looks unhappy. 
Banquo says, yeah, I'm going riding. And then he just goes and walks to exit the scene. And then Macbeth interrupts him and just goes, and goes Fleance with you. And it's just like, don't talk about my child. It's like, why does that matter? Don't talk about my child. Why are you asking? And it's so good. I love love a pause and then unnecessary question. Oh, wait, no, it's necessary to me. Okay, Macbeth. And then I think it's really interesting because after this, normally, Macbeth goes, let me talk to you, audience, about my fears in Banquo. Yes. And this movie's like, you get it. Joel's like, you don't need that. We were going to cut that monologue. It doesn't matter. But I'm like, that's a fairly well-known Macbeth monologue. And it was just like, nah, we're cutting the whole thing. He's just going to go talk to some murderers. I was like, oh, okay. And you know what I like about the murderers, Marquez? What? They're just fucking guys. Yeah, they're just guys. They're just some guys. They're not like, I'm a cutthroat. They're just like, hi, I'm an older man. Hi, I'm a slightly less old man. I was wronged by Banquo. No, King, I I love you. Also, of course, Ross is the one who's sent to send in the murderers. So. Yeah, I don't know. I just love it. I love that they're just guys. And also, I love that there's a murderer room. Like, this is the room where I talk to the murderers. Yeah. I've got this little atrium, and that's where I'm going to meet with murderers and the like. And then Lady Macbeth comes in and is like, uh, what, excuse what's me, going honey. on? What's going on? It's time to move on. Uh, what do you mean you're going to kill Banquo? I do think it's really interesting how Lady Macbeth changes yes. in this scene. Because she always changes. Once she finds out that he's going to kill his best friend, she's like, my husband has gone bad. But this one, especially the line, then be jockened, yes. shown to me. Because he's just like, yeah, so just let's just be happy. And then you just see, it's a shot of Denzel's face, as Macbeth says, then be jockened. And then we cut to Lady Macbeth, who is half in shadows on the outskirts of this scene, watching just like so unhappy looking, so non-jockened. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, you you're made not that a jockin'. moment. <laughs> okay, I want to read you my notes for this scene. Yeah. I really like Denzel. Dude, I love Denzel. I've never seen this scene be this good. Yeah. It's shot beautifully and it's acted fantastically. I'm gonna give you some context. Yeah. I watched the Oscars. Yeah. And the Best Actor nominations came up. And I hadn't seen this film yet. And they mentioned Macbeth, Denzel Washington nominated. And they showed this moment. Where he talks about Banquo's kids? Yes. That is his Oscar moment that they show. And I went, that's pretty good. I didn't have the context of his performance before and after, which I really... Like how he normally acts. Yes. And then... Versus when he starts talking about the kids who are supposed to become kings. Yes. And so then when I watched this version and this, and like it clicked in my brain while we were watching it, that this is the beginning of that scene, I keyed in and I went, no, he definitely deserved to be nominated based on this scene. Yeah. The way that he has kept everything in for so long and it comes out in this tantrum, basically, that is measured and yet... Like, it's still not, like, he's not, like, yelling out. No, but you're like, oh, this is a tantrum for him. Yes. Like, this is not how he normally acts but at all. you've done this, and I've done this, where you just need to talk to someone about the thoughts in your brain. And you're and like, they, let me just get this all out. Yeah, I need to get this all out. I just need you to listen to me. And he just talks about, like, we did all this. We killed the king. And what, we don't have kids? So what, it's gonna be this guy's kids? So after we die, then our legacy is gone? 
I love that it's about legacy because when Lady M brings it up to him, it's like, well, they're old. This will be our legacy. We will be a king and queen. And Macbeth is thinking about it further because he's the one who had to commit a murder yeah. in order to do this. And he's, he's like, what? We're old. And then we're going to, like, what, 10 years? We're going to die and then the legacy's done? Yeah. It makes sense why he's saying what he's saying a strange moment where you feel like beforehand that these were just words that actors have said. Yeah. And then now that Denzel is saying them here, you feel that they are what the character is thinking. Like it has crossed that threshold. It's another moment when I think it's really important for the Macbeths to be older. Because they were worrying about this stuff. Like unless you want to somehow make it very obvious that they are unable to have children. Hard to make that obvious. Yeah, it's not in the text. So... If they're both, like, young and sexual, then I'm just like, you got time. Anyway. Let's kill Banquo. Yay! So you know how a third murderer always shows up? Yeah. And usually it's, like, one of the witches? It's Ross this time. Good. Is Ross one of the witches? No. No, because the witch is Catherine. Yeah, she's played by one person. She's one person. There's not... Why is Ross like this? And he does the finger to his lips thing. As well, he approaches, he's like, shh. Mate, I don't know if you paid attention, but he says, hi, I'm here to help you. Macbeth sent me, and he doesn't help them. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he just he's like, yeah, I'm busy doing my part. Also, I have to say, this is true of every version, but like, it is so nice of Banquo to like set up one of the murderers and be like, looks like rain, so that they can say the awesome line, let it come down. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's so nice that's of That's so nice of Banquo. Also, this fight rules. It's a torch fight because he doesn't have his sword on him. Banquo just fights these murderers with a torch. And it's cool. I've never seen that happen Yeah, before. it's pretty cool. And it, you're like, oh, Banquo's a good soldier. If these people who have weapons and are trying to kill him aren't getting him right away. And he doesn't have a weapon. So anyway, he's like, fly Fleance, and Fleance starts running, and Ross is like, oh, I'll find him, and Fleance is hiding in this large field, and then we see Ross find him, and then it cuts. Who knows? We find out, Bank. <laughs> yeah, we know. We know later. It's time for the feast. Yes. That Banquo was not supposed to miss. And I've got to say again, I'm really thankful that in their large open space house, the Macbeths have a meeting murderer's atrium. Because that means that instead of talking to a murderer in the middle of his feast, Macbeth just goes to the atrium and is like, hello, murderers, how was the murdering? So usually productions have it be that Macbeth is with all of his guests and like is already underway with the feast and then the murderers show up in that room and he's In the like, middle of the feast and he's like, what are you doing? This is my feast. And they're like, mm, whatever, I killed Banquo. And he's just like, okay, yeah, let's keep talking about it. They move it into the murderer talking atrium. Yes. You gotta think about your house design when you're gonna commit a murder. They tell him that Banquo's dead. And he's like, Only the two murderers show up. The third does not, as per usual, I think. Yes. But like, still, important to note. And then Macbeth goes, phew, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Time to go to my feast. It's always important. What are we going to do with the ghost? What are we going to do with Every, the ghost? you got to do something unique. you got to make it different. I thought for sure. Because they went, here's a seat saved for you, sir. And you know, that's typically where they go, there is a ghost or not a ghost on the seat. Yeah. Instead, that seat is near the door. And Macbeth looks towards the seat. And then we hear something. And I was like, oh, so they're not showing the ghost. And then they do. But it's just not in the seat. 
through the door, we see a raven fly past, and then we see an angry-looking Banquo with a sword following it. Yeah, it's cool. It is cool. And then Macbeth freaks out. And you know what is great about that? He's able to leave the room, and then people go, what the heck, and follow him. Yeah. Which is way more interesting than him just standing there screaming and people being like, yeah, it's awkward. So it goes from, like, this is awkward to, like, I'm scared of my host. Because the host is just, like, running through his halls. And also, it's like, he's screaming. Lady M is following and trying to be like, do not do this. And yeah. he's, like, screaming back. So the guests don't necessarily hear her, but they still hear him freaking out. It's so good. It turns out that what everyone else sees is the raven still. They still see the raven, which, as we know, the ravens are witches. Ravens be witches in this. Birds are important. No. Birds is important. Birds is important. Like, you have to say it all in one go. Birds is important. Yes, birds is important. So, Lady M comes in to this one room, Mm -hmm. and she just sees her husband fighting a raven. And then she goes, oh my god, honey, just open the window. And she opens the window and the raven flies out. I think this works. I think this scene, though, makes it so that Macbeth doesn't seem as much like he's lost it to his guests. Because here's the thing. If I was at a feast, and then all of a sudden, I heard the flapping of wings, and my host going, Which of you did this? And then he storms off to chase after a giant raven in his house. I'd be like, oh my god, someone left the door open, and a raven got in, and like, ah, that thing's big. It's gonna make a mess. And then he starts screaming, don't you shake your gory locks at me, Megan? Ravens eat carrion. So there might be, like, dead shit on its feathers. And, like, don't... As it's, like, fighting him, the flapping of it, maybe it's getting gross dead animal on him. And he's like, don't you do that. God, I'm trying to have a nice dinner. Somebody here did this to me. And they let in this raven. And, like, this is a big castle. There's a lot of ravens in these parts for some reason. Who knows? This is probably not the first time this has happened, and, like, the Macbeths are really sick of this. Like, I feel bad now as a guest. Yeah, and then Macbeth goes, Take thy beak from out my heart, and (laughs) And take take thy thy form from from out my door. door. Both the Banquo, (laughs) you killed me. You killed me. I thought you were my My friend. friend. And then everyone's like, well, I guess we're going to go. And Lady Macbeth has her best line read of the entire film, when she says, Good night to all! Like, I, I said good day! Well, it's it's funny because usually Lady M to the end is like being very yeah, cordial. Yeah, she's like, yeah, good night, But I think they were very realistic of just like, I'm done. Please leave. <laughs> and then I said, all right, this is the empty room that just has a sleeping potion and no furniture. Because yep. <laughs> then she mixes him some sort of sleepy juice. They mentioned night is almost at odds with morning. And then he says, I'm going to go see the Weird Sisters. But this is the witching hour right now. Yeah. Because it's from 12 to 1 is the witching hour. It's right after midnight. So, like, what's going to happen? And so, well, yeah, he's like, I'll see him tomorrow. And it's like, okay. Well, witching hour is right now. It's tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> 1201. Uh, tomorrow. And so she gives him a sleeping potion and he falls asleep. And then we hear, Tis time. Rules. And I'm like, oh, it's tomorrow. <laughs> 1201, it's tomorrow. And he looks up and instead of a ceiling, it's a, the witch. <laughs> The witches are perched perched. like birds. Birds is important. Birds is important. Yeah, I love that they come to him. It's not a scene where he, like, arrives to them. Yes, and that changes the line, something wicked this way comes. Because instead of them saying it, talking about Macbeth coming, it sounds like they're like, hey, Macbeth, 
Something wicked's coming for you. Because, okay, here are my notes, Megan. Ah, oh, man, they cut the potion again. I hate when they cut the potion. I love the potion lines. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. They just put it here after. Like, yeah, after like, he arrived. At, yeah. Oh, and they're, like, spitting up the ingredients. Uh, they say the ingredients, which usually doesn't yes. happen. I don't know. There's maybe a sort of uh, liver of a certain ethno religion that is mentioned. And they're just like, "Yeah, we're keeping that." I'm I, like, I don't okay, know why, Joel. Sure. Oh, and then they, when they spit up the ingredients and they drop it, we're like, "Oh, okay, they're dropping, I guess, a finger on him." And then you, it goes back to the room he's in, and the whole ground is flooded, so that like it's, it's the, the cauldron, cauldron. and <sighs> he's in the cauldron. It rules. And then they're like, "Time for the apparitions," and I'm like, "I hate these." But there are reflections in the water just like being shown in this murky water. And I was like, actually, that's pretty great. And then, you know, on TikTok, when they've got like the little AR guys and they'll be like, look, it's a little monkey or something. Yeah. And you can like put your hands under it and to bring it closer to you. That's what they he do. He does that with the apparition in the water. And then it's just like the little head in the little water in his hands. Yeah, and then the witches knew that you don't like the kingly procession of Banquo's line. And so the witches cut it from the scene. They're so nice. See, I so- love them. I love those witches. They know what Megan needs. I like it. I, they know birds is important. They know birds is important. But kings? No. Okay. Birds. So I will I will say, I do like that they cut it off at seek to know no more. Because usually people don't even have Macbeth ask the question. Yeah. They'll just cut it after like the three apparitions. So yeah. He asks, like, what about Banquo's issue? And, and they're like, shut up. You don't want to know that. That's not for you. That's not for you. And then that wasn't what we told you. We told you you were going to be king. That's Banquo's fortune. And then he wakes up. And instead of Lennox, this nobody coming in, it's so interesting that instead it's Lady Macbeth being like, Macduff's gone to England. Yeah, well, you hear him, like, ride off, and that's what wakes him up, like, yeah. startles him awake. Yeah, and it's Lady Macbeth being like, he left. He ran off. Watch out. Something wicked this way comes for you. And then on the other side of the door, we see that maid from the beginning who was like um the king's gonna be here tonight just like pressed against the door just like oh god this is bad i need to do something so a couple things Macbeth is just like okay then we'll kill Macduff. Yeah. we'll find him and then go to his house kill everyone in there and the maid is standing outside the like, door oh no i heard that yeah and also we see that lady Macbeth's hair is falling out and the maid sees it too. Yes. She looks back to see Lady M. She like puts her hand through her hair and then pulls it out and it's just a clump of hair is coming out with it. And I'm like, oh, baby. Oh, that's so bad. And then we cut to Ross, who is telling is it Lennox yeah. all the things that are going down. Macbeth is hunting for Macduff's children. And Which like, I just have to say, this is actually the scene before that, like in the play. Yes. I really like how scenes are reordered in this. Yes. Because they're all very small changes or like interspersing scenes among each other because you can because it's a film. I think it's all done very well. Mm-hmm. I like the choices of the order of this play. So then we cut to the Lady Macduff scene. Ross is there as he's supposed to be again, though. And he's just like, hi, it's me. You're fine. And we've established that he knows that bad shit's going to go Yeah, down. but he's just like, eh, don't worry about it. Bye. I want to talk about how... It is shown that Macduff and Lady Macduff have not, like, three kids. They've got, like, eight children. There's so many. You think it's a little school. And, man, I need to tell you something else that is kind of sad. You know Lady Macduff? Yeah. She's 27 years old. 
The actor? Yeah. Nice. Younger than us. Unless somebody like looks visibly like a baby whenever I find out. You're like, what? But you look like an adult. Yeah. You should, you should be like older than me. <laughs> I'm a kid. What? And so usually there's a messenger in the scene that's like, watch out. They're coming for you. And it is that maid. And I love that. I love that she's like, I got to run to the McDuffs. Yes. I got to tell them. I have to warn Lady Macduff. Get them out of there. But it's too late. When Lady Macduff discovers that people are coming to kill her, she goes, why? I haven't done anything wrong. And then she goes, wait, I thought about it for a second. This is the world I'm living in. Yeah. And to have that said by a black woman Ugh. is especially rough. Yeah, that's true. Because it's just like, yeah, life sucks for you. Yeah. <laughs> just by virtue of how you were born. Of course, this is Earth. I live here. I know what it's like. Life is suffering and now I die. So the murderers, I have to say I'm grateful. They keep calling the child an egg. But they cut calling the child a fry of treachery. Which I think you need an egg fry for it to be a complete scene. But, you know, instead they just burn the eggs by throwing the child off the balcony into the burning pile of children. You know what? I'd call that pretty fried. (laughs) Anyway, it's actually really upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I joke about it. Oh, man, Megan. We cut two. A great scene. The longest scene in the play. Oh, wait. They, oh, (laughs) short. In most versions of Macbeth, they keep this whole scene. It's not necessary. The only reason I'd keep it is if you're like, hey, in case people can't make the whole length of this fairly short play, you keep in this scene so they got a place to go to the bathroom. But like, if you just cut the scene, then the play won't be as long and it'll be an even shorter short play and then they can just go to the bathroom at the end. It is also useless to the plot because all that happens in this scene, the first half, Macduff arrives to Malcolm and says like, hey, can I join you? Macbeth is a dick. And then Malcolm tests his loyalty because the play is about loyalty and people love to keep it because it's both a character moment for Malcolm and Macduff as well as proving that like oh well Malcolm's going to be a smart king because he tests people's loyalty but it's so long and so So boring dumb anyway so we just see we start with Ross being just like hey guys Scotland's in such a bad place and I'm like really Ross you're gonna talk about that I think you might be part of the problem he is and then they're just like oh by the way I've got news about how your entire family's dead and this scene is so good it's so good McDuff walks away from the news. Yes. Which I love because he's like, I'm going to start crying and I don't want people to know. I'm mad and I'm sad and I'm lost and I need to just move my body. And he moves and he's like crying and he's supposed to be because he says he will feel it like a man. And so many times people are just like, yeah, I'm angry. That's how I'm feeling it like a man. I'm like, that's not the point of the line. The point of the line is... I feel this strongly, which means I'm going to be affected by it. Yeah. And I hate when people don't have him cry and his voice like breaks and it's so good. He kept the line that they're all his pretty chickens. And he delivered. I love it when an actor delivers a line that sounds silly in a way. And you just go like, yeah, it's real. It's just so good. And like, you want to love Macduff because you're supposed to. And so often because Macduff is not a huge role line wise 
not the greatest actors play Macduff. The way that Macduff says he has no children, he oh like growls it out of his mouth. Because he's, you feel so many emotions in him at once. He's yeah. like, I want revenge on this and I can't get it. And well, he has no idea the pain he's put yes, me in. Yes, like, it is, is it's both of those both all at once. once. And oh my God, it's so good. That's why I was like, who is this actor? Yeah. I need to know because it's so good. He's good. It's a good scene, and it's short because because uh, they put in exactly what you need. Yep. Oh, Megan. Yeah. Before we move on, yeah, we've got to understand. Yeah. Seward is a good soldier. They plan to go and invade Scotland and take down Macbeth, but like they always mention Seward as like an English soldier who's like super cool. He's just so good. Guys. He's such a good soldier. He's not an important character. And then we cut to Lady M just standing on a cliff. And I'm assuming that's her sleepwalking, because I know that's the scene. So I'm assuming it's just like, yeah, sometimes when she's tired, she just stands on a cliff's edge, because, you know, that's where her life's at right now. Yep. So then we have the madness scene. With a new maid. It's a different maid. Because the other one got killed, Old probably. maid gone. She's not here anymore. Yep. And we see, you know, it's the usual. Lady Macbeth comes down. She does her thing. She just happens to go to a fountain. What I love about this is... The tree has water on it, and some water drips onto her hand. You know when that happens in life, and you're just walking, and you're like, oh, I just got mm-hmm. peed on by nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, this tree pees on her hand, and then that's when she's just like, out damn spot. She's like, oh my god, there's a spot of blood on my hand. Yeah. Because she feels the she cold. feels the cold wet hit her hand. And it's so good. I love that. I love there being a reason to spark it. Yeah. I like this Madison way more than Marion Cotillard, but I don't love it i love parts of yes it. so i don't end the scene just going like masterpiece no i just go oh hey different levels yes yes i don't like her screaming i know like when she screams where is she now no it's when she just screams oh, when she just screams at the end yeah I when know. she says thane of fife had a wife where is she now that's the loudest she ever says a line in yes. this whole film i'm okay with that like that's fine i was just like oh i could hear her and then, yeah, she cry screams. And then she holds her arms um, like she's holding a baby for yes. a brief second. Like, it's... It's almost nothing. It's very subtle. We could even be assuming that, but I feel like that is done on purpose. That's not just how you hold your arms. Yes. She also does the thing as she's walking up the stairs where she holds her fingers to her lips. This is just an important movement to Joel Cohen. And then she says the last to bed straight at the camera, which is pretty common, actually. And I was just like, yeah, she's gone. That's it. She's done. Lady Macbeth's out. Good job. The soldiers are preparing in Burnham Wood. And then a kid brings Macbeth the news that England's gonna invade them. And Macbeth calls this kid a goose. I have to say. This kid looks like a goose. (laughs) Yes. Also, in this, Denzel Washington is now shouting far more. Full, full Full Macbeth. And he moves so much when he talks. Yes. Like, he is a completely different person than Macbeth at the beginning of the play. And I love seeing a huge drastic change. Yes. Yes. It feels earned after the kill the Macduff scene. Also, so this is the scene where the doctor's like, hey, bud, your wife's got problems. Go cure her then. No... It's a mind problem. A we don't gotten doctors for that. The interesting thing is, so the line is basically like in cases like this, the patient needs to see to himself, mm-hmm. which like, you're just like, 
in most productions, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, him was just like what you would always say. Masculine pronouns are the like default pronouns. Mm-hmm. But in this one, I feel like the doctor was really being like, the patient should seek to himself, Macbeth. Mm-hmm. You also got some issues, sir. And I was just like, huh, that actually like stuck out to me right there. I was like, ooh, you sassin' to the king without being sassy, just being like, please, sir. So then he orders, full alarm, we're in battle mode, and the bell rings out, and that's what wakes up Lady M. It's very similar to when she woke up to the screaming earlier. These scenes are, like, really, like, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yes. So, like, we see, like, her wake up. We cut back to, like, the forest. So here's where, I I didn't know this was filmed on a soundstage. Yeah. I literally wrote a note that was like, so what's interesting about this is that this is obviously a newer forest. I said, like, this is not an old forest of Scotland because the trees are all in lines, which means it's a lumber forest that was planted specifically to be harvested. And then you were just like, so this is a soundstage. I'm like, so it was just a graphic of a lumber forest that was planted to be harvested. Yes. But I like, that was my only note on that scene about them being like, we're going to take the trees and hide ourselves. So I was just like, this is not a natural Scotland forest. This is a lumber forest. It also looks the fakest I've ever seen it. But I think that's also because just the, the point. Because the trees are all in a line. Yeah. It is the weirdest feeling when you are in a natural forest and you step and cross into a lumber forest and, and you're suddenly like, everything is in a line. And you're just like. Yeah, humanity's weird, Megan. Uh, and you turn around and it's all just like wherever it wants to be. And then it's perfect lines of trees. So I think they could have chosen the better background. No, intentionality, Megan. It's supposed to take you out of it. That's <sighs> the whole point. All of these choices are intentional. Yeah, but I think it would have been weirder if they were in a natural forest and then they stepped it's into a, a good ex- Megan, it's a good excuse to have in your film to say, well, if it looks bad, that's good. <laughs> I, we wanted you to feel like it was bad. <laughs> and so Lady M wakes up. She stands on the top of the stairs and then Sneaky Ross notices the queen. Does Ross kill Lady Macbeth? I don't get it. They don't They're show like, him do it. Ross sees Lady Macbeth and starts to sneakily approach her, but not like, eh, I'm going to get her, but just like, what are you doing, Lady Macbeth? They cut away to Macbeth, and he hears about the news about Lady M dying here. And I went, oh, okay, they killed her on the stairs that he's at the top of. So that he can have a shot where he's walking down the stairs towards her talking about tomorrow and tomorrow. What I said before about the daggers. Yeah, with the movement and the sound and the cadence of the words all adding together. It's good. And then the windows open and a big gust of wind brings in a swirl of Burnham wood leaves. Yeah, they could have cut this. Yeah, I, 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 it's not. I don't know why they did that. I also said, luckily, I guess that staircase has off-splitting paths because he doesn't ever get to her body. He just walks a different direction into the throne room. So then it cuts to him just sitting on his throne, waiting for fate to arrive to him. This is so different from most productions. Most productions I see, they're like, time to fight, rah! And we have Macbeth running around and doing fights and people are in different places and they're fighting and yeah, they're fighting. Mate. This is just like, he's just like, all right, I'm waiting. Wait, here's the thing. He's the king. Yeah. The king doesn't fight in he the... He doesn't. He waits until someone gets to him and, and I know fight that, them. I know that people say like, well, Macbeth is a consummate soldier. He No, he's the king now. He's the king now. He's got to be in the throne room for news... And in case someone wants to try to kill him, uh, you know where to find me. Which is why I think it's really silly when young Seward walks in and is like, 
who are you? And it's like, well, I think the guy on the throne's the king. Yeah. Yeah. You mean regular Seward. They cut young Seward. I just assume he's young Seward because it's young Seward in the play. Yeah. I wrote young. There's only one Seward in this, though. Listen, Seward. Joel Cohen's like, we have so much shit with children and adults here. We can't have another thing where young Seward walks in, gets killed, and then gets told that his son died like a man later. That's just too many shit. But yeah, so Seward walks in and is like, I'm here to kill the king. And I love that cool, cool King Macbeth is just chilling in his throne. It's just like, nah, man, that's not going to work out for you. Just walk away, man. I played you this clip while we were watching it, but it really rings true. It's just Thanos saying, I have no idea who you are to Scarlet Witch, because that is how he reacts to Seward coming in. It's like, you are a man that I hate most. That name is like, ash on my tongue and Macbeth is like who who are you you took everything from me I don't even know who you are he like doesn't even have a weapon he's just like you are no threat to me no and I love that I love that he doesn't have a weapon on him and he fights Seward with like shoving him get back baby he fights him like an anime villain that knows that the young hero like early on in the series when he's just like you're weak, you're weak, and they're like, I need to grow past this moment. But Seward is not I've going to. Never, I've never seen a Macbeth fight someone with the air of, I am invincible. Not like, I am invincible, and so I can just strike you down with one swipe of my sword. No, it's, I am invincible, meaning I can fight you with nothing, because you are never going to kill me. Literally, there's a moment where he shoves Seward, and Seward drops the sword, and Macbeth picks it up, and I was like, oh, okay, oh. now he's going to use it to kill him. And then he throws, throws it back to Seward, like, here's your weapon. About two time. And he kills him like he kills the guards. Just like one hit back of the neck with his dagger. It rules! I knew you were nothing to me. And also, then Macduff shows up because there is no wasting time in this adaptation at all. Well, he's left the throne room now. He's like, yeah. all right, I'm on my feet. Well, I he, goes to the, go. he goes to the battlements. He doesn't go yeah. to the front line. No, but he's or- like... I guess I'll get some fresh air now that I'm on my feet anyway. And I love it because he's just like, everyone, don't come near me. Like, you're not going to win. Screw it. Mm -hmm. Like, just go away. And then, I'm sorry, Macduff. You're also going to be a woman born. And like, just give up. He's so tired. He's just like, man, I don't want to do the fight. I'm just going to win and you're going to die. And I I don't want to do it. And then, Macduff's like, I was from my mother's womb untimely ripped. And I really love how Denzel says, a curse would be the tongue that tells me so. Because it really just sounds like, well, fuck. Yes, it's not It's not anger. It's like, not... so often I hear, a curse would be the tongue that, like, how dare you say, yeah. like, you know, or, like, I'm full of fear now. It's just to me, like, ah, crap. crap. Yeah. Like... <laughs> like, well, shit, I might die. This is the first time that I have seen a Macbeth genuinely affected by his wife's Yes. Okay. Usually in the scene, why Macbeth is having a hard time is usually because he's panting. He's been fighting like, oh, it's just so hard. And then like, oh my God, he might die. In this one, Macbeth just seems like, I'm not tired, but I am exhausted. Well, he's taking- He's like, I'm not physically tired, but I am mentally just so done. Like, this is where it is. And I'm going to go through the motions. And if you kill me, fine. He's actually acting on what he says- about Lady Macbeth, that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound, sound and fury signifying, signifying nothing. nothing. 
he internalizes that in these last scene where he's just like, well, I can't die. What would he do? What would he do if he won? Yeah. Like, that's, I think, also is in his mind. Like, at this point. At this point, he's like, I either win or I'm done. And I don't need to deal with this anymore. But but what would you do if you won? What legacy do you have left? Your wife isn't even alive anymore. He's fighting, but he is not like, oh, I'm going to push it to the limit. He's just like, I'm doing a fight. Because, like, I'm not going to not fight for my life because it's instinct. But, like, oh, McDuff swings for my head. He chops it off. And my crown's going to go flying over the battlements. Well, what I like is he dies because he reaches for his crown. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because McDuff doesn't move and the crown falls off. And Macbeth grabs the crown and goes to put it on, leaving his neck just totally open. Macbeth, at this point, doesn't care about anything. But he cares about what he fought to win. Like, he has to at least die the king. Because otherwise, what's the point? Otherwise, it was literally for absolutely nothing. Yes. And so he dies. He gets his head chopped off, flies over the battlements, and who brings it to Malcolm? Who gets to be important instead of Macduff? Ross. Ross. It's Ross. And Ross is like, here's the head and here's the crown. All hail King of Scotland, Malcolm. And Macduff's just gone. We don't ever see Macduff again. Well, he played his part. He got his revenge. That's why I think... He doesn't care about who's the king. No, he doesn't. He never cared about who's the king. He cared about his children and getting revenge for his children, which he did. He did. So now it's just like, he can go home take a nap. Now you guys can deal with who's king. And thankfully, Joel, you've also cut Malcolm giving a speech at the end about... Thank you. Boring shit. He does the good thing of, hail, king of Scotland. All right, no more lines. But we will continue to follow Ross, because obviously he's the main character. And he is stashed Fleance away. Cause In the old man Festy house. Yes. And then he's like, thank you, old man Festy witch. And he gets Fleance, and they start to ride off. And then they go under a hill. So, like, you know the Windows screen? Yeah. Where it's a bunch of rolling hills? Yeah, it's funny. So, like, you go down one rolling hill, and another front hill is blocking it. And then suddenly, so they peek behind that other hill, and then an unkindness of ravens just like flies toward the screen and i'm like birds birds is important birds is important so i'm like wait so was ross a witch or were the witches just like no ross was not a witch why are there like 1700 ravens suddenly the ravens were always a witch because they obscured the sky megan the white sky so i'm just being like get away ross we'll cover your movements no, it's metaphor, Megan. Well, what it the hell? Is it Megan. Just, is oh, it just... oh, Megan. <laughs> it's for fun? Oh, I'm Megan. I'm going to take a look at the German expressionist film okay, and no, try to have no. a logical Here's the thing. Reason. Every other time there was a raven, it made sense for it to be a witch. And then they're like, here's 15,000 billion ravens. And no, Megan, it's just for fun. It's not just for fun. It's for metaphor. What's what do you the mean? metaphor there? That they're blocking out the sky. Why? Because fair is foul and foul is fair. And you okay. got and they're like obscuring the white sky. So it's like, yeah, it continues. Fleance is going to be king, but Ross is like a malicious force. It, it is their version of like what lots of people think about the ending, which is Malcolm is on the throne, but Fleance is destined to become king. Mm-hmm. So, so he's going to kill Malcolm? Or it, Malcolm has a daughter, and they just have ba- they just get yeah, married. Yeah, but it's supposed to be a becomes... more like a no, sinister. No, I know, I know. Continue. That's just always my thought. It's literally that comic that's just like, oh, you're gonna be king, and my kid will be king, and it's just like, oh, cool, our kids will be married, and then Macbeth's just like, I'm gonna kill him. Anyway, that's the film. So 
What'd you think? It was good. I like this. It. It's pretty. It is my favorite adaptation of Macbeth that I've ever seen. It is my favorite direct adaptation there of Macbeth I've I was ever like, seen. Um, excuse you. Uh, there's a little film called, called Scotland, Scotland PA. PA. I think it's a very good direct adaptation. I think they keep everything that's very important, except they do cut the young wife was eating chestnuts line. Oh, man, Megan. (laughs) In act one, scene Every time. Scene one? No, what scene is that? It doesn't matter. Every time they cut that bit, I get sad. They kept, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. That's why I was like, okay, so they cut things weird. It was because I knew I'll do, I'll do, I'll do was from the chestnut He's bit. master of the tiger. So I think that if I ever see an adaptation that, that does keeps that. that, it might become my favorite. Just so you know, filmmakers out there. <laughs> if you want to be Megan's favorite adaptation, keep the Errol the Witch. Errol the Witch. It's so silly. Like, I that's just why want Errol the Witch. That's all I want. I don't even care about the chestnuts. If they, instead of saying, Megan, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, and just said Errol the Witch, Megan, this would win. Here's the thing. What? I do care about the chestnuts. I do like the chestnuts bit. I like that whole bit. But Errol the Witch is the best part of it. No, Roger Ebert. Again, he's dead. Yeah. Uh, do you want to know what I think Shakespeare would say if he saw it? Yes. I think, which is really weird, because uh, after what you just said, a lot of yelling at me for the ending and my opinions. Yeah. I think Shakespeare would say, Val is fair. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. MVP. Don't oh, you dare. No, I gotta give it to Denzel. Yeah, it's gotta be Denzel Washington. It's got gotta nominated. be Denzel. I have to say that Macduff was incredible. Mac- the best Macduff I have ever seen. And the witches were incredible. Some and of the, the witches were probably the, the best. spookiest witches I've yeah. ever seen. So, like, this was hard for me. The only reason I said Denzel so quickly is because I thought on this a lot over the past few days. And I cannot not give Denzel the possibility of being MMVP. Like, we gotta stop. Oh my god, it's gonna be him and Ariana. (laughs) I'm assuming right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good bet. That's gonna be the knockdown. Are you saying we can't just keep doing it so that people can be MMVP? Well, also just, like... He got nominated for an Oscar, and, like, he is the title character. All you said was true. Yeah. Also, I do not think that we should worry about them being MMVP. No, we really shouldn't. It means literally nothing. Uh, We're no one. (laughs) We're no one. I will say that it would be wild. I would also say giving MVP to Ross would be a good call. I think he's doing a lot with a little in this film. No, he confuses me too much at the end. Well, actually throughout, because he is just like a chaotic, neutral character. Yes, he's meant to be somebody who's vying for the crown silently, like Macbeth was. I want to know your headcanon. Is your headcanon that he's going to be like, all right, Fleance, next year we're killing Malcolm, and you're so young, so like I'll need to be your yes, viceroy. Uh, I think he, he recognizes that this young boy is, he doesn't know about the prophecy. Well, and also like, Fleance would have to do the murder. No, he can no, kill. He no, Wait, what's his line to the throne, though? Like, that's the thing where I'm like, you guys didn't think this through, really. Because it's not like he's Donald Bane. Listen. Now, if Donald Bane was a baby and Ross stole Donald Bane, I'd be like, Ross, you've got an idea here. But it's just some dude who's the child of a friend of a guy who was king. Man, I think if you think too much of it, it's more like a vibes-based theory. <laughs> No, no, I think your theory is what Ross is thinking in this. And I think Ross is dumber than he thinks. (laughs) So is everyone in this fight, let's be real. Let's be real. 
Hey, Megan. Yeah. What would you rate Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth 2021? I would rate it 11 of the people Macbeth kills. He kills 11 people? He kills more in this one. Oh, yeah. Because of how many kids there are. (laughs) True. Out of the 13 Oscars that the Cohen brothers have been nominated for. Nice, nice, nice. Marquez? Yeah. What would you rate The Tragedy of Macbeth? I would rate this film the two Oscars they didn't win out of the two nominations it received. (laughs) That's a hundo percent. I really like this film a lot. Again, it's my favorite Macbeth direct adaptation. I might give it 12 of the murders out Mm. of 13, but like... They didn't have Aranthe Witch, man. They didn't have Aranthe Witch. The ending goes against my sensibilities, except for there's a lot of crows. So that might actually beat that one out. That might cancel out. Are they crows or ravens? Ravens, sorry. But I really like ravens, so the amount of ravens might cancel that out. But also, I feel like Lady Macbeth is too weak in the scenes with Macbeth. Yeah, that's fair. So like, it's probably like 11.5 of the deaths out of 13 nominations. All right. I think that's just about going to do it for us here on Avant Bard. If you like what you heard, you can follow us online at Avant Bard Pod on all social media platforms. And if you really liked what you heard, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash Pod. Bloopers for this episode will be on Patreon next week. But until then, we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlotte. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod. Hey, bro! Hey, <laughs> hey bro! Hey, witch! <laughs> <laughs>